Gymnasia Levonin. So we speak about the the um of the Gdoli Israel, the the uh of the people that were the Teichnak the Nishamakla Israel. So we've spoken about a few of the people that were killed out in the last Khurban. There's another Pchina of a tzaddik. There's another Bechina of the Arzel Avonin. But it says by Yitzchak Avinu that after the Akeda, he, he had a, he was considered Afrit Sovo Munach Tachaskis Even though he was still living, he was, he was Be'etzim a Sorof. His Be'etzim was a Kaddish. And he's seen as such, Kashbarach's Miachat Shmoy and so on. I wanted a little bit try to remember the zeich of somebody who was a of Afritzavamunach, someone that survived the war, but was Kulkuli he was an ember. I wanna think through a little bit the Panavijarov and the 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 Erzalavanin the he he was Be'etzim destroyed Be'etzim was destroyed in, in 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 the war and he was it was a pchina of Afatzav Munach whatever he did afterwards <coughs> we'll talk about it Pon of was born in 1886 approximately in a small town called Kul his name was Yosef Shleimer Kahneman and he was from his early childhood brilliant he was tremendously, tr- very brilliant, very sharp, very, very streetwise, big pikeach, molichain. He was called in yeshiva, it was called Yosha Kula, Yosha Yosef Kula from the town Kula. At a young age, he was off to yeshiva. He, um, his parents saw his gashonis, and they sent him to yeshivas. He wasn't a few yeshivas, but his main two mekoymas that he would kaveya his tmus and his tzura was Tel's yeshiva and Rebbe Gordon was his rabbi muvak in learning. That was his stam Rebbe was Rebbe Gordon. And he was by the Chavetz Chaim and Kreil Kachim. And the Chavetz Chaim was the tmus that he saw in terms of musr, in terms of the, like he's, he wants to love somebody, something in Chavetz Chaim, and the person said, Ah, does that gesagt Chavetz Chaim? Chavetz Chaim said that? And he said, Nein, does lep the Chavetz Chaim. This is what Chavetz Chaim lives. And the Chavetz Chaim was for him the demus, the Moira Derech, and the Moira for whatever he did. He would always ask himself, What would the Chavetz Chaim have said? Those are the two Tumuyos that formed his personality. He was a phenomenal Masmid as a Bacha. He was also uh, somewhat mischievous, was involved in some things, and even when he was older, he wouldn't he would tolerate a child that was a little more mischievous and say, Yosha Kula was also once upon a time uh, a live wire. But his mother was incredible, and he married a daughter of one of the great Rabbanim Militar, a label Kamira, and at the age of 25, 26, he took on, in 1911, he took on his first Rabbanis in a small town called Vidj. In, uh, it was a hamlet, literally. He was a Rav for three years, and then World War I broke out. World War I destroyed the Kehillahs in Europe, and he became, um, he stayed on, but there was nothing, it was Kharov. In 1918, he was asked to become Rav and Panovich. Panovich was one of the three big cities in Lita. It was Shavla, Kovna, Kovna, Shavla, and Panovich. And he became Rav and Panovich in 1918. He was unique. He was someone whose breadth of vision was beyond anyone in Lita probably beyond most people in, in Europe. The, the, the mentality in those days was to sit and be oisik in your local things and the passing your shilas and that's it. And, and so on. 
he he started building almost the first day he came to Panovich. He built a yeshiva, and he built a yeshiva for young boys, and he built a yeshiva, and he built a this, and he built a that. He, by the time the war came around, there were over a thousand Talmidim in his different moistis. It, it, was, it was a fanem, it was a, a, a scope of undertaking that was Litvisha Rabbonim, Litvisha Jury, and Litvisha Rabbonim Beteva were very Tsunua kind of. They, 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 didn't, they didn't have the, the hoo ha to deal with big things and big projects and undertakings. It was not to them. And he had a vision that was incredible. He was the only city, during, between the wars, the matzav of Yiddishkeit and Lita went downhill rapidly. And in most big cities, the, the, the people were already, the, vast, the majority of people were already not real shaman mitzvahs anymore. In Panovich, and, and there were splits in the Kehilla, the, the religious function with the rabbinate, and the chesed functions became more like what we would call federation-type organizations. The, the Rav didn't let that happen in Panovich. Panovich and Rav kept all the moistus under his anhaga. He cared as much for the chesed moistus as the Torah moistus and the Torah moistus chesed moistus. He personally took care of everything. They, they found in the Pincus Kill of Panovich a notation. This is typical. Such and such a person is in terrible need. Uh, the Rav and somebody else will go around from house to house collecting money. Uh, by Moaz Chitim, he would, um, he would decide how much every person has to give, and he would post it up on the wall how much every person is supposed to give and how much he gave. And he held it was muta and right to do. And uh, nobody, uh, once or twice people tried to uh, bicker, and then they, they folded. He cared about every every nidach and everybody needed something in Panovich. He cared about the next door. The door wasn't going to yeshivas anymore. There wasn't the music of an institution where everybody would go to a cheder and then go on to yeshiva. There were yeshivas for mitzvahim. The economics dictated that was the only thing. And he built up moistus. He, um, he was able, he found a way to people that were not from he was, in most, in most places, the Rabbanim either gave up or they were leichem. He was the only one, one of his tunis was he had a tremendous warmth and a tremendous ahava that shone, that radiated from him, and a tremendous pikhis, and very even keeled, and with a sharp sense of humor. And he wanted the barbershop to close for Shabbos. So he would, he would walk by, he put his head in and say, I couldn't Shabbos. And uh, it, it, there was one who was insisted on keeping it open. So he sat down in the chair. And every customer came in, he wished him a good Shabbos. And that was the, that was the end of the customers, and that was the end, he closed the store. This humorous way he once... One Baba told him that he's going to the priest to Shmadzich. So, the, you know, like he's angry at him and he's going to go to the priest and become a Christian. So the Rav told him, until you don't bring me a certificate, these give certificates, I don't believe you. I'll, I'll, I'll keep wishing you good Shabbos. So he said, and when I bring the certificate, what are you going to wish me? So he said, good riddance. The, 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 he, he had the sparkle that people loved him, and he used it. More than anything else, he began to go collecting money all over the world. And his, he needed, and, and there was no money in Europe. He tried in England and didn't go, and he tried in Europe. He wasn't getting anywhere. He started going to South Africa, eventually to America. Going to South Africa or to America in those days was a journey of weeks over 101 different ways you, you have to take the coach to the train, the train to the seaport, the seaport to the ship to this place, then from that place to the other place. It, it was an undertaking. You didn't, nobody, very few people were interested in giving money. The people in America, and especially South Africa, had become distant from Torah. The music of Torah was, was alien to them. And, and it, was, it was very, very, very difficult to raise money, if at all.
And the Ponovich Rav went. And he went, and again. And he was gone. Most of the time he was wandering in all these places. As he wandered through South Africa, and then America, and other places, he, he began to see that Klal Yisrael is like, the, it's like what we read in Yecheskel. It's sheep spread out. There's nothing... It, it's, it's, it's just about slipping away. And he would, he would speak a lot more about Yiddishkeit than he would speak about money for his institution. He began somewhere long to realize Kaddish Baruch Hu had sent him Nov and Nod to, 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 to spread Yiddishkeit. He, he had tremendous Kachadibur. There were places where they didn't let him speak and he would say, I want to say three things, three words. And they'd be curious. And then he would make a joke and they'd want more of it. And then he would win them in because he was very, very... He was always drawing people in. He had a warmth and a chain and a sparkle. And he would talk again and again about Yiddishkeit. But more than anything else, he would tell the Rabbanim in South Africa, the Marshal, lost up the mikvoyes and the kashris and macht yeshivas. said, if you want to save the door, you need to have a yeshiva. They need to learn. They need to learn something. I was once speaking to Rabbi Aaron Kreis of Chayim That's our Rabbi Kreis's father, Chayim Vracha. Rabbi Aaron Kreis's father was from the noted Masmidim of the Mir, from the big Masmidim of the Mir, and at Ziknev at Seva, he was a tremendous Masmid, tremendous Talmud Kochem, and he was once he was in Israel, I met him. He was in Yeshiva. We spoke and learning. Then I was standing in the back, Ben Astarim. And he a little bit he said over some. He, he was I don't know how to I don't know how the conversation came to, but he was speaking about Avasatayra. So the first person that he that flowed into his memory of a demus of Avasatayra was Rebbe Chanan. He said there never was a time Rebbe Chanan would miss a minute of a seder. The storm were fixed in set in stone, and he remembered. He said Rebbe Chanan once left to America for a year-long trip of fundraising. He said his coach his, 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 was supposed to take him to the train station at 10 o'clock. He said at 9 o'clock he sat down to say this shit like regular. He said you couldn't notice a thing on him. He said the shit with the same galasakite, the same ruikite, was known for his calm and methodical and so on and so forth. At 10 o'clock, he finished, closed the Gemara. He said, I'll be gone till next year. El, and uh, beginning his man, and uh, that, was, that was it. And he, he said it over. And then all of a sudden, Rabbi Aaron eyes missed it. And he said, but the Panevich Rav, when he got up, and, and he sort of imitated him, and I, and I could see his eyes misting. It was very... He, he wasn't a... Um, wasn't that type of person, Rabban Kreiser. He was usually very kachadika. But his eyes missed it. And he said, the Rav used to say, Brider, learns, brothers, come, learn. And he said, and, and he said, the, the way in which that sucked up the people, you have no idea. He said, that's to him, that Abba the expression of, of, of brothers, let's learn together, was that to him, that was his uh, the, 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 the height of what he could picture as Av Zatayra. And he would go from community to community, more often speaking about the younger communities, about Yiddishkeit, about Taira, about Klal Yisrael, about Akadosh Baruch Hu. Those were the things. In, in the 29 years that he was a Rav, by the time 939 came around, he had built up a city that was the shameless affairs. It was, in a certain sense, the Frumster city in Lita. This was when Lita was going downhill. This was the city that had the largest spread of functioning Yiddishkeit. It had the most kids in Chinuch. It had moistest the shameless affairs. It had um, uh, it, it had a relationship, a community that functioned as a community, a tremendous achtas, with guided by the Murad Asra in a way that was incredible, 
that was only Shaykh on the point of a Jerov, and he was in his early 50s in 1939, and it was Crown's achievement. His black beard had become gray and his hair white. He had, it, it was a constant battle to keep building and to keep the Moises going and to keep talking. And someone met him and he told him, you become white. Had you become white? And in his humorous way, he said, he said, from, from black work, you become white. You know, he told him you were you were black once, and I became so white. How did you become? He said, "In Fashvartsgivon." He said, "You know, That's where he was. He had a family. He had a wife, who was her believable Kamir's daughter. He had a, his oldest son, Rabbi Avram, was a chashva younger man, chashva abacha. He wasn't but his pride and joy was a son named Yaakov, Yankale, who was a real Ilui, and at the early age of 20s, 22, he went to the Biskorov to learn. He was, a, he was a, off the books Ilui and he had his father's things. He had a little boy named Itzale, who was 10, 11, and a daughter, Estheke, who was a woman reflection of Panevijarov. Every mile of me, the type that he had, she had as a woman. That's where he was in 1939. 1939, he had, they began to sense that there's a war coming. It was obvious. And he said, they offered him visas from South Africa, and he said, um, the captain doesn't leave his ship. They offered his son, Yaakov, in America to come, and he said, he himself, the son wrote that we are B'nai Litta, and uh, we're kigomel al imoy. We're like children by mother. We used a different type of hugger. This is where we are. This is where we stay. And he stayed. In 1939, Germany and Poland, and Germany and Russia split up Poland. And they, um, they, they many of the Polish. Yeshivas ran away to Lita. We spoke about it when we spoke about Chaimaiza and Vilna. And a flood of Polish politim came to Lita. Lita was still an, uh, an independent country for another year or so. And the Panevijarov put all of his effort into finding food for all these refugees. Food and place. Thousands of people thought of a town that wasn't much bigger than them. And they needed, and, and he spent all his effort to make sure that they're holding on to them. In 1941, the communists took over. They invaded, the Germans invaded one end, the, 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 the communists first invaded, they took over, and it was kind of an autonomous communist country. The government in Lita was at its wit's end what to do with all the Jewish refugees. They were very scared that somebody would use it as an excuse to invade them. The, the, the so-called Polish government, they, they, whatever it is, anything. And they told the Panevijarov that he has to go to Washington. He had been in America, he had some connections, to be Poyle in Washington to bring in all the refugees, to let all the refugees, uh, uh, Jewish refugees, into uh, America. They gave him a diplomatic passport. He was supposed to go with Kovnerov. It, it didn't make any sense, but there was no data. They, they, they told him. They didn't give him a choice. They said, you have to go. And it, had, it, was, it was a threat of hope for everybody. And he set out to go. The, 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 Kovnerov did not go in the end. Kovnerov was too sick. He was, had cancer and he was dying and he didn't go and he went himself. The goodbye People felt, people knew, people sensed the air. They didn't sense what's going to happen, but they're in for terrible times. And uh, he, he asked, he made a drush, he said, it's 21 years that I've been rough here. 
and uh, and I've you know if anyone if I owe anybody any money if I'm left over any debts he was always incurring terrible debts for the yeshiva and so on and so forth I want to pay him now he tell me right after Shabbos and I'll pay him and so on and so forth and it, it was strange because he would be traveling he was always traveling I mean he he was never there he was always going back and forth and never was a big emotion this time. They took all the children from the Cheder and the Beis Yisoyimim and all the children of town. Um, they went to say goodbye. It's a very unusual moment. And as he's standing there looking around and all the kids of the town, the kids from the Cheder and the kids of Beis Yisoyimim and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids, maybe thousands, and one kid yells out, Nemer mit, take me along. And they all started chiming along, Nemtun's mit, Nemtun's mit. And all the kids in Panovich. And he said, that's the memory. That's the memory that he carried till his last day. The children of Panovich begging, Nememit. And that's why, that's what I meant that it was Afri Tzavumunach. He wasn't living his own life anymore. At the age of 52, 53, 54, that age approximately, he, he couldn't go to America directly. He went to Israel. And he landed in Tel Aviv. He had an old mother who lived in Tel Aviv and a brother. And his son had already made it to Israel. His son, from the older one, had been forced out because the army was after him to draft him. And he ran away and he ended up in Israel. So he was there also. Panevrov landed in 1940 in Israel, and he realized the communists had taken over. There's no going back. There's Rommel was on the way to conquer Israel, and it was a moment in time that was as hopeless as could possibly be. There was nothing happening. The Jaws. It's like watching your loved ones in the jaw of, of a shark and the jaw snapping shut and you can't do anything. Europe was closing in. The, the, the communists on one side, the Nazis on the other side, and it was crushing everything in between. Eretz Yisrael was about to be crushed. Rommel was about to take that in. And there was a hope. And the Panevijarov himself couldn't stay in Israel because the British had, had a thing about that anybody can say enemy country, suspects means enemy. So he might be a Nazi spy. There was the English, there was the, that was the cultured mindset. The Pikhim and the Chachamim and the um, civilized ones. So he was told that it's possible in Beirut he could possibly get a visa for himself and his family. He... Um, so he went to speak to Rabbi Yaakov Halpern. Rabbi Yaakov Halpern was a big veer who owned a lot of property in who owned a lot of property in Pnebrak area and so on. And he spoke with him about about um, you know how to get the visas, how to get his own certificate to stay there because they're going to throw him out, and, and you know how you go to Beirut, whatever the plans they needed. As he walked out of the house. Of, of Rabbi Yaakov Halpin's house, he looked around. It was like there was a mount. It was like a hill, and it was open space and very nice. And he says, "What a beautiful place! This is the place to build a yeshiva." And Rabbi Yaakov told him, "You know," he said, "This is some of the most expensive property I have. It's beautiful property. It sort of overlooks. It's like close off to the ocean, and a big doctor wants to build here a sanitarium and so on." But I'll tell you what, if it's for yeshiva, I'll give it to you for 500 lirot, which was a very reasonable price. But tonight, if you start building within a year. So the Rav said, fantastic, deal. The, um, and that's it. The, um, the Rav was walked out. And he met um, Rabbi Shal Zolti, who was at, he writes a story. And he says, Ah, Skumpa Mazeltov, 
I just bought property for yeshiva. And Saul Zolti looked at him and looked at him and, and, and like, what are you talking about? You're homeless, helpless. A refugee without a place to be who's about to be expelled from here. Your wife, your children, your kehillah, all European Jewry is now caught in a trap. And it's crushing. And Eretz Yisrael is about to be invaded. And it's not going to be much better here. What are you talking about? He couldn't. And the, the Rav was somebody in, um, in, in, who Tanakh was always on his mouth. And he said, uh, he, he, he said a parasha to him. There was a dva Hashem to me. You're about to be offered a piece of property in Anasis. And Hanamul came and he said, Yeah, would you buy this? I bought it and I wrote a star on it. And I said, and so on. And then I said, then Yemuyor turns and he says, When I finished the deal, I wrote up the star, I gave it to Baruch for safekeeping, I turned to Kaddish Baruch Hu. And I said, Everything. And he goes through it. And he says, Klaishal sinned. And they didn't do what they're supposed to do. Everything you said bad is going to happen. Is happening. Your nevuas that you've given me till now are all being skyim. Eretz Yisrael is about to be charev. Hine, The ramps and batteries have come to the city Lelochta to capture it. They're there. The Bavlim are there, and they're setting up. And the city is about to collapse because everybody's dying of hunger, of, of, of disease, and by the sword. And everything you said, Akadish Baruch, you said, came true. We see it. And you tell me I go by a field bekesev, What are you talking about? The nevuas that you sent me, Yerushalayim is going to be a horrific city, desolate, nothing. It is going to be in the ground, and 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 now you send me by field. What does it mean? And that's what the Rav told him. He said, yes, the soil is a boy and this and that, and now I'm buying the field because there'll be a yeshiva here. And this is where Torah will come again. It was his ashkafa, his ashkafa on everything, far, far ahead of everybody else. And the reason was because it came from there. He came to, he was once, he visited Reb Chatzkel, Reb Chatzkel Sarno once, when he, that Kufa. And Reb Chatzkel, Reb Chatzkel said, oh, Panevitrov, what do you, what's Klaut Eton? What do you think of doing here? He said, I'm building a yeshiva for 500 Bachrim in Nebrak. There were not 500 Bachrim all of us all together learning at the time. If, let alone uh, and, 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 and whatever was was heaven this and Reb Chassel turned pale and a look crossed his face oh my gosh he's, he, he, he snapped he's, he, he lost his family he lost everything and, and he's pushed he's pushed not there and the Panevich noticed it he was a and he grabbed Reb Chassel's arm and he said Reb in 25 years from now, there will be not 1 million, not 2 million, m- more millions of people will be living here, and we won't have enough yeshivas for them. They asked him, what is he doing here? 
and he said, when they when they took out in the in the in, in the Malchus, when they took out Reb ben Tradian to be killed in Rapnus Torah, so the Brisa says they asked him, "What did you see?" And he says, "Oisius Perches Ba'avir." He said, "The Gvilin of Europe are being burnt. The, the Gvilin of Europe are being burnt. The Oisius are Perches Ba'avir." There's 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 a world full of Nishamis, of Taira that's waiting to settle in on Gevilin. Our job is to prepare the Gevilin for them. But he, he, the, the, you can destroy the Gevilin, but the Oasis you can't destroy. The Oasis the, 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 the they, they stay, and they wait for Gevilin. What, how, when, we don't know. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, is burnt the Sefer now we have to pray a new sefer to write it down again. His the, the he spent the next three four years. Uh, the, within a year, he started building as the as the plan was, and it was in the hardest kufa. The dedication ceremony was him, Chazanish, and a few other abanim. Rabbi Yaakov Landau, the Rav of Neibach, and a handful of people made no, no, they couldn't, they couldn't make any uh, PR. It wasn't Shaykh. They put out a board with a piece of paper on it. That was the table, and they put a plate, a plate with some cookies, and 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 a few bottles of soda. That was the Chanukah Sabayis, and, and not Chanukah Sabayis. It was the Chanukah Sabayis. And as the Panevijerov bent over to mix the cement and uh, start, you know, mix the cement and put it in, his, his body was racked by sobbing. He started sobbing, crying. And his tears went in. They said there was more tears than there was cement. And he finished it, patted it. And Chaznish turned to him and he said, Panevijerov, when you make a dedication with whiskey and cake, sometimes it's a sliach, sometimes not. But when you dedicate something with tears, we have aftocha vazerim bedima berin yiktsayru. There's aftocha v'davra melech that'll be matzliach. The next years, till 1945-46, he spent. No one knew what was happening. They knew terrible things were happening. They kept hearing. No one knew where their family was. Nobody knew where their children were. Whoever was at the stall that had gotten out was, was in limbo. And he went from shtibel to shtibel, shul to shul, mokum to mokum. In every place he would speak, and the chazik. There was, and, and they've written down all, all many of it, there's just an innumerable amount. He was always... He, he walked in Tel Aviv to a shulchul, and they were sitting and learning the Fayoimi. And I stood up and he said, no, no, I want to learn with you. He sits down with one of them. And when the Maggot Shir finished, after Meyer, so the Rav started speaking, like, and everybody got around him. He was an enormous speaker. And they said, he said, you know, I, I, I thought I'm coming to be mechazik. I got so much chizik. People work so hard. And you come on a blot gemara, and he, and he spoke about the chashivas of it. And then, he's, then he started speaking with everybody's heart. And he says, Givald, where are we? We don't know where the brothers are, where the sisters are, where the children are, where this. And until everybody's crying. And he says, Let's say Tilim. He says, That the only thing to hold on to when things are impossible is Tayyum. And that's what we're holding on to. And that's why it's so important. This was every place he went. His message was that without Torah, there's nothing to hold on to. He spoke someplace there was once when he let his feelings come through, his personal feelings. Was, he was speaking somewhere near Tel Aviv. I think it was the Groshul on the Yarkon. And then in the middle, he just burst into tears. and He says, Rabbi, I can't help myself, he says. 
today is the bar mitzvah of my Yitzchikl. And I don't know. Is he? Is he not? Where? What? When? And he started sobbing. And then he said, no, it's not only my child. I have to think of many, many other children. I have to think of all the children. It's not right. The end of the war left him a person at the age of 55, 56 who had put in an entire life of work into building a family into building uh, um, in, in, into building a world up the efforts that he turned white the, the battles he fought, the buildings he built, the people he had, his kids, his community, everything. Everything was gone. It was like Eif. Nothing. A wind came and destroyed his entire life. And at the age, it's mid-50s, a destroyed life, Aleph Atav, an extraordinary full life, Aleph Atav, he needed to make a decision that he would start building again. His wife, who's a big tzadikus, obviously, name is Herbert Zafaga, she said, an Aedis said over, that when they took them to be killed, with two, two things. First of all, they had made some established and she with the kids could have been saved, and some some bureaucratic snafu happened and it fell through. And when she heard that, she said, Akarish Baruch knows whom to save. And when she, when she was being led Hashem and the Rav would say it over, she said, I'm so glad my husband Rabbi Yosh is out because the world needs him so badly now. Very, very different way of looking at things. Panabajarov started rebuilding. His vision and and his 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 vision and his ava. It, it was today in our Israel, the non from people. Their attitude is live and let live. No, I just want to be left alone, let me do what I want to do, and that's it. That's kind of the main prevalent attitude. The attitude in those days was, let's teach them how to live. Let, you know, it's ace losses. Let's pull the from people in, because we want to cut their payers and put them on shorts and show them what life is about and what Israel's about. It was very, very tough. And there, there's a letter from Rev Herzog, who's the, um, who was the chief rabbi, and he, and he was aligned. He was sort of a moderate in between, kind of. Um, and a kid wanted to go En Harot. There were two kibbutzim, En Harot and Nahalel, were notorious for their anti-frumness and their, and their you know, haches. And a kid was debating, a, 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 a pullet was debating going there, and the Panevijero and, and Rev Herzog writes him a letter. Even I, when I walk into Encharod, I feel a Kriris Neira. I feel a terrible cooling of myself, my Yiddishkeit. Panevijero had a different look. Panevijero got up, there was not good convention, a uh, Sifa in Petr Tikva, and everybody was talking about the terrible Matzim, terrible Ruchnius, and that. And the Panevijero said, we need to prepare tefillin and mezuzahs for the kindalach of Encharod and yeshivas for the kindalach of Nahalel. People didn't know what to make of it, but he, but he, he said it, he swept everybody up. And there was a shul open up recently in Encharod. There were, there were people started becoming from. It, it was a vision of Netzach Yisrael that was bigger than everybody's vision it, because he saw Klal Yisrael b'toivasay. He once said, Yisrael k'toishim, there's kachim that became Tomei, and there's kachim that yotza chutza. There's all sorts, but the Shem kachim stays because that's Kaddish.
and he began looking at at Israel with eyes of building and so on. There was another tuna of the Panevijarov that makes him stand out extraordinary. People who had to cope emotionally with what he co- had to cope with. The, the, the sight of hundreds of children saying Nemtunzmit, the memory of a wife, the memory of children, the memory of a city, of a town, of a country. Many of them closed themselves off emotionally. Many of them just stopped feeling. In other words, they acted kind of mechanically. That was one way of coping with it. So you don't get in touch with your feelings. You don't. There was G'daylim that wouldn't kiss a child, touch a child, because they couldn't. It, 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 it brought back searing memories. They couldn't do it. And they... Panevijarov exuded, it's as if he gathered all the warmth that had, that had been burnt and projected it. He, he built, the first thing he built was a, an orphan home for children. He called it a base office. He says, it's not a home for children. It's a home for us to be fathers. He, he, every bacha that he took in, every person he came in contact with, he exuded a tremendous amount of ava. It, it's almost as if all that feeling and all that regish became projected in that. Reblazel Pachinsky was, he was very, very short, and he was a bacher in Panevich, and he was laying on a bench one evening. He was sort of going to sleep, and the Panevich Rav was standing with Abba Grosbart, who was the mashkiach. And they didn't notice he was laying on the bench. He was kind of small and it was kind of dark. He sort of, so he overheard the conversation that he probably wasn't supposed to be. And Robert Grossbad had lost his family in the war, never could remarry. Just emotionally, he couldn't, he, he, couldn't, he, was, all, he was a withdrawn person, big tzaddik, big Adam Khashoggi, but that was it. And he was standing at the Panevijarov and he told him, Panevijarov, we tutted us. How do you do it? I can't. I can't. How do you deal with your emotions? And the Rav said, Ich farboidas. I build with my emotions. I, 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 I channel it into building it. Every child that I take in and that I give him love and warmth and embrace and care, that's, that's what I do with it. And, and there was something that was extraordinary. It was something that Bederchal, a person who's not a sensitive person, not an emotional person, can deal with things, you know, so it's not, but somebody who's so sensitive, so, so his emotions are so powerful, and they're able to deal with it, that was what the Rav did. The Rav spent 29 years in Rabbanis. In 29 years in Rabbanis and Panovich, at Panovich and Vich together, and 29 years in Yisrael. It was Akadosh Baruch had been machr of an entire world, like Eiv, much like Eiv, and he, he picked himself up and rebuilt a world. He built every meiser under the sun possible, and he was already an older person now physically not well he in his first year in Eretz he lost his voice he went to a doctor and that doctor said you have cancer in the throat and you have a year to live and he started making plans who should take over and who should take over a yeshiva that didn't exist take over and who should take care and who should this and who should that and um, and then a year later, they decided he made a mistake. It was, it was not that. But he lived like that. He became very sick in Europe. In, 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 well, he was on a... On a he was in, uh, in, Amer- in America? Or he was, it was in America. And he became very sick. His kidneys um, failed. And 
they had to do a very difficult operation to remove a kidney. A second time, he had a clot in his foot that they said they needed to amputate. Baruch they didn't. Um, and he was, he was, he knew pain and suffering all his years. It was Mamash, a life of Eve. The one thing that wasn't Eve was his face, his voice, his warmth, his embrace, and everything. And he left us with some Ashkafis. Left us with Ashkafis about the war. No one can say Ashkafis about what happened, except for a person who was there. And one Ashkafa was, he brought a Pasik someplace that it's called a Yoimagadal. And he said, why is it a Yoimagadal, a day of Churban? So he also said over a parik in Yecheskel. He says, Lachena Marlbne is based Israel, Koyama Shemalikim. Are you following the reserves of your forebears? Um, I'm going to look after you, Kalei Yisrael. That which you think would happen that you would become it'll never happen. That which you say that you're going to become like the Goyim, that will never happen. And if you don't do tshuva, if I won't unleash every power in the Bria, to force Malchus Shemayim on you. What says Yeschem in Amim? I'll take you out from the Amim. The Kibatzti Yeschem in Arotzis. Ashem for the Sembom, and I will take you out from all the Arotzis. Biyot Chazaka, bezurin to your bechemesh fucha. I will take you out with an outstretched hand and with a horrendous anger. Veivase Yeschem on Midbar Amim, and I will bring you to Midbar Amim. Vinishpati itchem sham. So the Panavir Rav said. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has taken Kalal out. Gathered them. It's mamish into the ghettos, into the concentration camps. And made a mishpat between them and Umas Oilam. But there's two more words in the Pasuk. The only other time. Moshe Rabbeinu is panim el panim. And when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is yoyim chayim ha is moilech biat chazaka. And Kalal Yisrael... It's a yoyim of panim el panim. Panim zoyafos. But it's panim el panim. That's what someone who lived it. That's Arze Alvonen. Who saw in the Chemesh Fuchim Yad Hashem. He saw a yoyim godl v'noira. Because it's a day of panim el panim. Someone asked him. Doesn't it say malachim? It says when they took it by Kiva. The malachim was zoyek. And the Panevidirov said, Malochim ask Shilas, Yidin don't. It's, a, it's, it's, it's the Gmail of Kai Yisrael. And finally, one last point that he said, someone asked him, someone met him, and he said, Panevidirov, Tell me the truth, Pony Don't you have kashas? And he said, I have only one big question that I really struggle with that I haven't answered yet fully. And the question is, why did I remain? Am I fulfilling the tachlis? Fakadish Barko took me out from there. Did I fulfill the tachlis? I, I didn't get out because of my schusim. I got out because of what I expected to do. And he said, that's the question that I don't have a good answer for yet.
he brought a medrash also. It says when the iron and Isarim that they themselves also should have been destroyed by Kashpavos Richem and iron. That was that was the Arzia Levonin. That was the Ashkafa. That was the life they lived. And his personal Gehenim lasted 30 years. He was nifted in 69. And from 39 to 69, he lived with the memories of his wife, of his children, of the children of the town, of the people, of the Litvisha Yidentum. He had a tremendous Ava. And for Kal Yisrael, he lived with those memories. It was 30 years he lived with having to start from the bottom when he was at the top and built. But it was always with a happiness, with a warmth, with, 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 with so much chain and chiyas. If you look at a, a picture of the Panavijarav, it jumps at you. There's, there's the worn out the, 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 the face that has, that has deep ridges, the, 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 the um, toil, the, the, the eyes that sparkle with chachma, and the smile and the warmth that almost leaps out when you see it. I want to finish with one. The bracha that a koyen makes by Berez Kainim is Asha Kitchon Mitzvoysov. The Rav, because of who he was, because of what Akash Baruch had put him through, is probably the dogma of the Kedusha of Ava. An Ava that comes because he sees past the Chutz, where everybody else saw angry faces and the mocking um, youth. He saw Neshamas that are someday going to want Talis and Tfilm and learning. He saw that the Yiddish Neshama wants to learn and that no matter wherever wherever there is, he embraced Kal Yisrael Brider with real sense of that. And if a Brider, then what more could I want for you than to learn? That was the Kedusha, the Ava. And the Kedusha of Ahava, that this particular Arzel of that suffered 29 years of burning, gave over to us.